Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom in Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. Thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. I think we're live. Okay, this is Leslie Gish, and listen to the Gist of Freedom. Tonight, we have a very special guest on. He's a friend to the Gist of Freedom. He's uh, an antique collector, a premier world-renowned collector, and he is going to talk about a series of things, current events, as well as the Steele family. Where do you want to start, Mr. Philip Merrill? And okay, first of all, mm-hmm. go ahead. Give a brief introduction of okay, who for, you are in your company of, and your contact information, and then we'll start from there. Sure. My name is Philip Jackson Merrill. I am the CEO of a company named Nanny Jack and Company, named after my late great-grandmother who was a midwife in a pillar of strength in historic Old West Baltimore, not far from where Freddie Gray's tragic murder took place. Uh, our company specializes in curating exhibits and researching and working on documentaries and telling the untold stories year-round about the resplendent heritage of people of color. Uh, I recently have been an independent scholar at Lincoln University on a National Endowment for Humanities grant dealing with the the legacy and heritage of the first HBCU in America. In addition, I'm most proud right now of a new documentary coming out called Tell Me More and Then Some, looking at uh, the history of jazz in Baltimore. Uh, And um, what else can I tell you? Uh, Working on a couple books. Uh, and love to get people of all colors excited about the wonderful aspects of our untold history. And tonight's focus really is on a man that I knew very little about, Reverend Dr. Matthew Anderson. Okay, tell us uh, how can someone contact you before we get deep into the show? You forgot to give the contact information. Sure. Uh, they could try at my public Gmail, which is uh, Philip with one L P H I L I P J Merrill M E R R I L L at Gmail dot com, or on Facebook at um, Philip J Merrill. Hey, so let's start with the first person. Let's give the audience a list of the topics you want to discuss. So they know um, uh, what's sure. T- t- tonight, um, I-, I guess we would uh, be all remiss if we didn't um, send out uh, thoughts and prayers to the family of the late Julian Bond, uh, civil rights icon, and uh, uh, just a, 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 a wonderful person for the uh, civil rights movement and uh, putting our values on the front line often like nobody's 
else's business. Um, really just a, a tremendous loss at a uh, very difficult time in our civil rights history. So that would be number one. Number two, it would be nice to give honor to Reverend Dr. Henry Holland Garnett, a former uh, enslaved person that escaped and changed his name and went on to be a powerful uh, abolitionist and preacher and activist. And thirdly, tomorrow we should give props to none other than Mr. UNIA himself, Marcus Garvey. There you have it. Wonderful. Okay, let's start. I'm I'm taking notes. I have my pad and my pencil ready. Well, well wait a minute, wait a minute, Leslie. You can't take notes. <laughs> Did your family not just celebrate the 146th anniversary of the of your family reunion? Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. And that, that go ahead. The Still family, which I am still, no pun intended, <laughs> searching for a searching for a, a document for documentation to uh to show the lineage between my Gist family, and Peter Gist. So um, although I've been accepted uh, through the family um, just because, you know, they believe and we have kindred spirits, but as far as documentation, thus far there hasn't been any produced and, you know, DNA can do it. But I don't want that story to be distracted, uh, my connection to distract me from telling the story to other people about how great the family is because it's not my story, it's the world's story. So the Still family has a long lineage uh, connected to the Underground Railroad. They have been uh, dubbed the first family of the Underground Railroad. Um, uh, there were about 18 Still siblings, four born into slavery, the remaining born free. Um, as I've, out of my research since 1998, I've come across Three authors, uh, that's Peter's, Peter Gist Still, The Kidnapped and the Ransom, Dr. Oh. James Still, um, oh. the, the Recollections of a Doctor, of Dr. James Still, is the name of his book, and of course, William Still's book, which is truly a gem for genealogists and Underground Railroad enthusiasts. Um, it's the Bible. It's the Bible for Underground Railroad research. <laughs> right. 800 pages plus and it documents narratives of the people he helped escape um, from slavery, and uh, he interviewed them and uh, documented their stories of the places they escaped from, um, their la the names of their enslavers, things of that nature, so that he can reconnect, help them reconnect with their family members once the entire family became free. Um, he was inspired to do this because his very own mother escaped twice, once unsuccessfully and twice the second time she was able to um, remain free with only two of her children, two daughters, and she had to leave two sons behind. And lo and behold, um, the youngest of the two that were left behind, Peter, uh, eventually paid for his uh, freedom, made his way back to Philadelphia just by uh, providence, uh, he was directed to talk to William Still to help him find his mother. Uh, oh. He knew her as Sydney. Uh, she had changed her name to Charity Still. And lo and behold, the gentleman who he was seeking uh, help and assistance in finding his mom happened to be his very youngest brother. And the two of them reunited and the family got together and it goes on and on. But this show isn't about that particular story. And this is how I get distracted. 
but you know, but, but it, it's a good it's it's a good distraction because Leslie, it helps to um, put in context why um, I'm initially on the show tonight, which is to talk about a man who married Carolyn Still, okay. one of the daughters of William and Letitia Still. Okay. And much like uh, other people that I've been talking to lately, a lot of folks are not really aware of um, Reverend. Dr. Matthew Anderson and his powerful, dynamic educator, physician, wife, Dr. Carolyn Still Wiley Anderson. Um, there's so much to our history that we continue to, unfortunately, learn about the same folks over and over again when we really should be digging deeper to tell the stories of many other, what I call, impactful players that we need to know about. And this clearly is a dynamic 19th century couple that uh, paved the way for many other people. So if you don't mind, I just want to share a little bit of my recent research on this man. Please, please, for okay. honor. First of all, first of all it, 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 I listed on Facebook uh, yesterday morning, I put a, a magnificent carte visite photograph of uh, Matthew Anderson uh, from 1879. And, and what's really intriguing about this is that he actually grew up in a house that was an underground railroad station. Now, imagine what it must have been like as a teenager to have um, uh, folks that were uh, runaway enslaved folks that are in your house that are hiding out in secret compartments. What does that do to your psyche? What does that do to your spirit, your mind? Your I mean, today we can't even fathom that, can we? No. No way. And, no, he, no. And, and he grew up in that environment so you know that someone that has a father and mother that are doing that kind of uplifting work, that you are really placed on a path to do something great yourself. So he does. He goes on to uh, attend uh, Iberia College, which was like a prep school in Ohio with abolitionist sentiments there. And then he goes to Oberlin, which many of us know about the strong role um, in producing quality people of color that went on to do great things at Oberlin, and that's where he meets his future wife, Carolyn Hill. And that's exciting. That's a love story. I think that's, that's just fabulous that, that both at this critically acclaimed college that uh, in the 19th century was interracial, uh, and they, they meet there. Um, they do not get married there. Uh, he goes on to uh, attend Princeton Theological Seminary, and this part is really fascinating because He's accepted into the school at the time, and they're not dealing with any racial issues when they accept you. So when he shows up, they're, they're in shock that this is a Negro. Can you imagine <laughs> that they were not looking at ethnicity? So when he shows up in uh, roughly about 1877, um, mm -hmm. the, people at, uh, the people at Princeton were wondering, was he there for some type of manual labor job? They had no idea oh. this Negro was there to be enrolled into their theological seminary. So then no, there's no place for him to live. They actually place him for about two weeks in a storage room where broken chairs and shutters and bedsteads were. Did you hear what I just said? Mm -hmm. They placed this man inside a storage room because he couldn't uh, stay in the dorms with the white folks. So in essence, this man becomes the first Negro to end up living on campus at Princeton Theological Seminary in the 1870s. Who knew, right? Wow. Wow. To this wow. day, 
to this day, Princeton now celebrates him for that pioneering uh, spirit that he had. And when, when he leaves Princeton, if you can believe it, he decides to do postgraduate work at Yale Divinity School. So isn't it interesting that this is a man that grew up where he was an eyewitness to true activities of uh, abolitionists and, and, and the Underground Railroad activity, that he goes on to get such a solid education. And one of the things that many of the researchers talk about is that he had a craving thirst for knowledge. And clearly, with that type of educational background, he was set to do great things, wouldn't you think? Yes, yes indeed. So he goes on to end up um, pastoring at a historic church in New Haven known as the Temple Street African Congressional Church, which today I'm attributing it to being, and I'm still trying to verify this, that it is the Dixwell, which is one of the oldest uh, churches uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. Hence, the photograph that we have from 1879 from the National Beers Gallery on Chapel Street in New Haven, signed by him with a biblical quote on the back from July 23rd, 1879, puts all of this in context. Fascinating? Yeah, so, it is fascinating. So, as, we, as we leave there, he comes back to Philadelphia, to Pennsylvania, where in 1880 he marries Carolyn Still Wiley, and she becomes his wife, and thus that's the beginning of this dynamic duo. And not only does he marry this wonderful woman who is, directly connects to the Underground Railroad herself because of her father being uh, a conductor on the Underground Railroad. And the father, William, still becomes a very strong supporter of a church that Reverend Dr. Anderson um, establishes known as the Berean Presbyterian Church. So he can't get away from Underground Railroad activity. His wife is the daughter of one of the most important <laughs> Underground Railroad players. Right. He he grew up in an underground railroad house, and how how it, it just left me speechless as I I began to put the pieces together. On top of all of that, he ends up um, creating something known as the Berean Building and Loan Association and the Berean Institute. So if you Google Yahoo or go to Philadelphia's uh, or Temple University's page, you begin to learn about the pioneering work of this powerful couple. Uh, uh, and Carolyn, his wife, was right by his side. Notice I didn't say she was right behind him. She was right by his side, leading the way with education and with medicine because a lot of people don't realize, but I'm getting ready to tell you that, uh, she, let me just drop this on you, okay? You're going to be amazed. In 1872, Carolyn Still Wiley attended lectures in physiology at the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, right. She also went on in 1874 to move to D.C. to attend Howard University College of Medicine, uh, and her story is pretty much under the radar as well. Um, she moved back at some point in 75 to Philadelphia, where she matriculates at the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania. She graduates with a degree of Doctor of Medicine. Let me say that again. 1878, Doctor of Medicine. Look at the academic prowess that the two of them have together. Is, is that right. powerful? That's so very she powerful. Go, she, she, she goes on to, uh, in 79, to intern at the New England Hospital for Women and Children in Boston for a year, and then she returns to Philadelphia to establish a practice, and in 1880, 
she marries none other than Matthew Anderson. Now, I, mm-hmm. I think when you're looking for powerful examples of African Americans that love each other, that are married, that are working together for social, political, educational, uh, medical uplift, you can't find a better example other than Matthew and Carolyn Anderson. And they're, and, and they're directly involved with the Still family. That is why I wanted to come on and talk about that. I just think that we, we need to know that in spite of all the things that were going on at the time, the, the 14th Amendment and the KKK and, and um, uh, the separate coach issue, that these people were still able to overcome the oppression, the depression, the stress, the, the, the racism to go out and do magnificent things. And, and I, and I want to share with you as I'm looking through my notes quickly, if I can quickly find it, because I was trying to be prepared for you this evening. Um, okay. I had no idea that he even um, was not going to cooperate with a train ride where he basically told the, the, the brakemen that if they didn't act right, uh, he was going to throw them off the train. Now, that's a bad brother, isn't it? It sure is. Now, let, let, sure. let, let, let me just, uh, I'm trying to quickly find this. Well, while you're uh, searching, oh, while you're searching talk a little bit more about Berene because we don't hear too many stories of churches like that church today, well, and we're in no, desperate no, need no, of them. No, 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 we, we don't. And see, here, here's the thing. The model that he based this Berean Presbyterian Church on where they were developing a building loan and association uh, and they developed a, a institute of, of manual and industrial training, that was based on some experiences that he had in Salisbury, North Carolina, which um, was uh, one of his uh, uh, missionaries, that, you know, one of the locations that he had to go as a pastor. See, so often we don't understand that deep in the South, there were magnificent examples of, uh, of, of, again, of Sabbath schools, of uh, normal schools, of, of powerful churches that had an interracial backing um, that then he could take that model and come up north, so to speak, right near the Mason-Dixon line, and set up this wonderful uh, um, institution known as the Berean. And if you go to Philadelphia today, you can um, see uh, with historic markers and uh, research again at Temple uh, University, uh, also at a museum that I didn't even know existed. And, and, and again, I, I'm, as just as Matthew Anderson was craving um, for thirst for knowledge and so forth, as am I, and I, I thought a little um, sad that I did not know about this museum that, that is in, in, in um, Franklin County. Um, mm, it's in okay. the Green Castle area in Franklin Can- County, and... Um, not too long ago, they had an exhibit that dealt with uh, some of uh, Matthew Anderson's father's material, and there's a museum there called the Allison Antrim Museum, A-N-T-R-I-M Museum. If you Google it, um, you will find more information on it. Um, and now let, let me just read this to you if I, if I could. Um, yes. Timothy Anderson's property still exists today at at 13831 Ridge Road, Antrim Township, about three miles north of the Mason-Dixon line. And one of the things that pains me with regard to the Underground Railroad is so much of our narrative is tied into folklore or hearsay. Mm -hmm. So I'm always excited when you can come up with actual documentation from 
uh, an eyewitness that wrote about it years later, or you find it in some newspapers, or you find it in some personal diaries or letters, and in uh, a, a magnificent book that, that Matthew wrote in 1897 that was entitled Its Relation to the Negro. Okay, this mm -hmm. was a pres it's called Presbyterianism, Presbyterianism, its relation to the Negro. I just want to read you one brief thing that he said. Among the earliest impressions made upon our childish mind were the tales of horror about the South told by the fleeing fugitives as he lay in the secret enclosures of my father's house where he was concealed. See, so we don't have to then say this is hearsay, this is oral history. We can go back and look at Matthew Anderson's writings and begin to come up with some concrete information about it. Fascinating? It sure is. And, and again, well, we, we don't know this story. Uh, maybe, maybe some of the folks in the Philadelphia area know this story, but I dare say people in Virginia, uh, people in North Carolina, people in Kentucky and other places have not a clue about the impact and importance of um, Matthew Anderson and his uh, powerful wife, uh, Carolyn Anderson. And before you so, move on to your next segment, could you just tell the audience the power of the uh, what we call the benevolent societies, which really were the catalyst behind all of the constructions of the the Ys, the banks, the schools, the newspapers. Okay, well, for the, that really is a whole other segment, but I'll I'll, I'll just delve delve into it now. Um, I'm, be, I'm beyond intrigued with um, 19th century benevolent societies. Um, one in particular that I have been researching, and I, I feel very fortunate that our company, Nanny Jack and Company, has probably the largest known archive of the material. It's called the Brothers and Sisters, Sons and Daughters of the uh, Grand United Order of Moses. Mm, beautiful name. A mouthful. Name. A mouthful. Beautiful I, I've been looking at their encampments uh, because we have the original uh, encampment booklets from New York, Philadelphia, D.C., um, New Jersey. Um, they had schools. They, they were always raising money. They had a hierarchy. They, they had um, bylaws and constitutions. And these groups, and right now my research is showing that this particular group was found circa 1867 or so. Um, mm -hmm. These groups did a whole lot to ensure burial and sick benefits for us, for people of color. But they also provided what what I think is really overlooked, which is they provided kinship. They provided mm -hmm. a place for us to get together, to have meetings, to eat food, to pray, to to worship, to to strategize about what the next step is in our financial, in our educational, in our cultural, in our personal wealth. Uh, and so it, it's just phenomenal. Um, uh, right. One of the more, I'm sorry? Yeah, I agree. Go ahead. One of the, another one that I've been researching lately, and, and see, this, you're stealing a thunder for a whole other show, Leslie. Okay, um, well, let's, let's, uh, let's save it for the but, next show. Okay, okay, I'm but let me, just tease you, let, me, let me just tease you with one. Let me just tease you with one, okay? This is just okay. a, a brief tease. Um, there's a group out of uh, Richmond, Virginia, known as the National Ideal Benefit Society. Let me say that again. The National Ideal Benefit Society, and it's established by A.W. Holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S, and mm -hmm. they're connected to the True Reformers. And okay. that leads you on a whole nother trip that we could talk about. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with 
the, the the whole concept of these benevolent societies, the, the Knights of Pythias, the Knights of Templar, um, the Grand United Order of Tents, um, the Mysterious Ten, um, the Odd Fellows, the Masons, the Eastern Stars. So I've spent the last 25 to 30 years working very hard to uncover primary source material connected to those organizations. Photographs, wow. bylaws, constitutions, badges, um, uniforms, swords, uh, uh, um, just uh, dishes, rings, um, uh, any type of regalia or ceremonial content. And, and really, because they are secret, it's very hard to come up with high-quality research on who the key players were, what they were doing, and so forth, because it's a secret. Right, a and secret that's the way society. it should be. And, exactly. and before you move on to the next segment, I have to say this, because I was always wondering why did these societies um, go by the wayside? How did they fall by the wayside? And well, well but first research, of all, all, all of them haven't gone by the wayside. So that's one okay. thing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, well, when I, did my, when I did my research, I discovered that a law was passed in Georgia where they said that they had to have so much money in the kitty in order to continue these burial societies. So many of them were forced to close as a result of uh, um, North, I think it's Georgia um, Insurance Company uh, was established, and the gentleman he became one of the wealthiest black men at, in the nation at the time as a result of the closures of the benevolent society. But I'm going to let you finish, and then we'll move on to the next segment. Well, well, see, this is why we need to have a full segment just on this because it, it, it it's. It, it leads us right to the Eden Cemetery where William Still and his wife and, and Letitia and Carolyn uh, and many others are buried in Philadelphia. And it leads us to the issue of what goes on with the downfall of these historic black cemeteries across the country. What role did the church play in the upkeep? Um, what role did the benevolent societies play? What role do the current descendants play in coming together to create some type of advocacy to take care, uh, offer some perpetual care when the church or whatever organization originally set up over a century ago is not capable. Kelly Miller, the dean of uh, mm -hmm. at, at, at uh, Howard University, um, one of the first blacks to, uh, uh, to uh, matriculate at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, he's quoted in the uh, newspaper one day talking about how sad it is that it is so evidence evident to him that when you go by a white cemetery, you can tell that it's white because of the upkeep, and you can tell which one is a Negro cemetery because of its a blighted and uh, 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 poor upkeep. And mm. people that do not um, appreciate their dead, what does that say about their current society? Okay. So we right. can get deep into that at a whole nother time because I've been researching burial practices, funeral homes, uh, and all of that for many years. Uh, okay, so, okay. You have so, to come back. We we got a lot to talk about. Okay, so okay. Let's, 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 let's let me let me jump quickly to um okay. uh, uh, I, I want to tell you uh, how I um, just come into a Julian Bond story. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, many years ago. Uh, working uh, in Kentucky where Berea College is. No connection to Berean Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia that we were just talking about. I'm now talking about Berea College, B-E-R-E-A, in Berea, Kentucky. It was known as the mm -hmm. Oberlin 
of Kentucky. It was founded by John C., a white abolitionist who wanted um, slave children uh, to be able to get an education right next to uh, folks from Appalachia and so forth. Julian Bond's grandfather went there. Hey, let me say that again. His grandfather. His grandfather's name was James Bond. No, no connection to the movie. <laughs> Not talking about that. Talking about the real history. Okay, James Bond walked for miles with a cattle just to get admitted to this school. In our archives, we have letters where, they, where other former slaves are mentioning his name because they're classmates with him, and we have a never-before-seen uh, cabinet card of a light bright. Uh, James Bond when he was a student matriculating at Berea College in Kentucky. Awesome. awesome. This and man, did, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. And did you see the picture of uh, Julian Bond as a little With boy, Paul maybe Robeson. eight or nine? Yes. Yes, talk, yes talk I did. But, but see, you, wait, wait, wait a minute, you're going to steal my thunder. I'm not coming I'm on your show anymore. I'm not Don't coming on your show anymore because... I can't get no, my I, stories in. A, you go, go. Just go, go ignore <laughs> I, what I said. I, 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 I'll tell you something funny. Um, no, no, they are. No, I'm, I'm teasing you. Let me tell you something funny that I learned over the years. I was interviewed by Tavis Smiley many years ago, and, and I couldn't get a word in, okay? Okay? I've been interviewed by Cassie Hughes. Couldn't get a word in, okay? So what I've learned to do over the years, because I've been interviewed by um, Ed Gordon, by... Um, by Dan Rather, by all kinds of people, quality and not quality. And okay. now what Leslie I learned, Gist. And now Leslie, okay, that's real quality. What I've learned is to stay alive and, and you gotta, you got to kind of hit it and quit it like a running back does in the NFL. When that block opens up that hole, you got to shoot the gap. So that's what I'm trying to do with you. So be, be, let me Go just ahead. say this other, this other thing about um, uh, James Bond and, 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 um, at Berea. Berea is also where um, Carter G. Woodson went in 1903. And in 1904, a white politician by the name of Carl Day creates the Day Law, which removes all the Negroes from this interracial campus. So what we're sitting on in our archives is the quintessential 19th century collection of photographs, letters, textbooks, and three-dimensional items of these former slaves that were reading and writing in the 1800s. And in the Julian 1800s. Barnes, yes, Julian Barnes' grandfather, James, is right in the mix of all of that. So I reached out to him privately, um, and he responded. He was very interested because we were about to um, seal a deal for an exhibit in uh, Kentucky, but it fell off the table because I wanted to share with him some private information that has not been public uh, about uh, his, his grandfather. Now, segue mm -hmm. up to why I want to talk to Julian right now. Mm -hmm. For the people that are spiritual, and I am one, God works in mysterious ways. The other day, mm -hmm. I'm in Pennsylvania, Oxford, where I consult, where Lincoln University is the first HBCU. As some of us know, Julian's father was the first uh, black president of that university, Horace Mann Bond. Okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've been meeting people all around there that are 80, 90, and 100 or so pushing up there that have magnificent personal reflections of a young Julian Bond. <laughs> because wow. he was there on the campus and in the community when his father was there. And nice. one man that I can't wait to formally interview, he was in charge of babysitting a young Julian who was a rascal, as, as the person said, and I'm going to get a formal interview from him. He would try to hide out so no one could find him so he wouldn't have to go and babysit a young Julian. Is that a cute story? Yes, it is. Now, but here's even a more exciting story. You heard it here on the Gist of Freedom. The show is called the Gist of Freedom, right? Right. 
Okay, you heard it here first. I've met a gentleman who photographed Albert Einstein at Lincoln and a young Julian Bond, and he has all kinds of stories about Horace Mann Bond, about Martin Luther King, about Kwame Nkrumah, about anybody that was anybody that was at Lincoln during that time. This photographer, who is 94 years old and sharp as a tack. Did you hear me? Yes. I had wanted to talk to Julian, and I, I, I didn't get the chance, obviously, to get him to look at some of these images uh, of him as a youngster in this area, taken by this photographer who is still alive. Whoa. This man took photographs for 55-plus years in one community. Yeah. And when I asked him uh, in an f- informal interview um, who were some of the, 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 the fonder um, stories that he had, who did he really enjoy, and the first two were one was Horace Mann Bond and the other one was a young Julian Bond. Neat stories? So, now that you, is, hear, you, you have some great... Great artifacts and stories. I mean, uh, this is this show is turned out to be a hundred percent better than what I expected. I mean, I didn't well, but, know but, you were going to get this. Well, but here's the thing: whenever, whenever you talk to me, you should you should never you should just be on 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 guard because you don't know what's going to come up. Um, no, I, I sure I, I'm always that. going to be prepared. I'm always going to be prepared. And, and, and let, let me let me tell you something. Um, I I do a lot on faith. I, I live by faith and I step out on faith and so forth. I cut right. my teeth as being the first person of color on the Antiques Roadshow on PBS. The number and, one and show I on PBS. Right, right. Okay. And, and you but, don't mind me right. doing you that way, right? Well, well, I do and I don't because okay. that's in the past. That's okay. in the past. Right now, I'm on a regional show that we just taped 13 episodes last weekend. 13 episodes. Congratulations. On PBS. Thank you. Called the Chesapeake Collectibles. Say it slower. It's in the. I'm sorry. Say it slower. The so Chesapeake Collectibles. You can go okay. to the uh, their website chesapeakecollectibles.com and see any of the seg- the season any of the shows from the past four se- four or five seasons. You can Wonderful. see me on there praising um, anything from um, uh, a, a gentleman from the 54th Regiment of the Civil War to some Clementine Hunter folklore paintings to some rare medical ledgers um, from the Harlem Hospital in New York from the late 1860s that had information about former slaves. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying to you is I've, I've learned through trial and error and fire about how to make it, how to excite the audience, how to engage them, how to say a lot in a little bit of time because history is boring. People have a short attention span, so you have to be lively and you've got to talk about things that they can get. Right? Right. So right. I'm going to give you one other story, um, and then I'm done. No, two other stories, two other <laughs> stories. Um, first of all, um, Marcus Garvey is someone that uh, a lot of people get confused about because, you know, he ends up going to jail, and, um, and some people think he was, you know, uh, uh, too militant or pan-Africanist or this or that and blah, blah, blah. But from my perspective, there's still more work to be done on in researching Marcus Garvey, his impact, his life, and the Liberty Halls. The Liberty Halls, for the people that don't know, 
are the meeting quarters that were set up in different parts of the country in America. Where mm -hmm. I am in Baltimore, on Pennsylvania Avenue, again, I'm, I'm putting it in context, in Old West Baltimore, the largest African-American historic district in the country. This is not me saying that. It's set up by the trust, okay, the National Trust, okay? Mm -hmm. Marcus Garvey came to Baltimore to, to view where his new Liberty Hall was going to be set up on Pennsylvania Avenue. In addition, many successful, educated lawyers of color were members, were Garveyites, were Garveyites. And there's so much that can be done from researching um, in his um, newspapers and pamphlets and just looking in, um, not, not just, um, in, in, um, I can't think of the name of his newspaper. Was it called Negro World? What was it called? At the moment, I can't think of it, but... Um, it when, was when called... Okay, yes. right. when, when you start looking at microfilm and, and, and looking at this stuff, you get just historical nuggets of information that lead you to other deeper stories that you didn't even know existed. So when I say tomorrow is his birthday, let's not just look at, oh, you know, this, this man was controversial and he, he went to jail and blah, blah, blah. Let's look at what we can learn from uh, his ideas of being accountable and and uh, the fact that he was a, a educator, an orator, or a publisher, or an activist, or this or that, I get excited when I figure out who in a different city was a member of the UNIA. We saved one document off of the floor of an important house where the content was going to be taken to the landfill. It is one of Marcus Garvey's uh, UNIA documents. Off the floor. Did you hear what I said? Off the floor. And... I had to yeah. do some research to figure out, to learn about who the people that signed it. And there's just so much more that we can do. So let's just not give a cavalier and, and, and say, okay, well, it's his birthday's tomorrow. If it is tomorrow, which it is, go on and do some research. Go on and do some research on the, U, the, the UNIA and share that information with anyone that's willing to listen. So learn what the Universal Negro Improvement Association was about. Learn what Garvey was about. Learn what some of his key members of each chapter we're about, and, and it's phenomenal history. So that's my pitch for Marcus Garvey. Oh, oh, here's something else. I'm holding in my hand, and you can't see it, but maybe when we go to do a, uh, some type of filming of a TV show, maybe, I'll bring this and let you see it, okay? I'm holding in my hand as we talk right now. It, it, it is called, um, I'm looking at the Black Cross Navigation and Trading Company. And on the back it says Negro Patriot, 1925, and it says men and women who have sacrificed for the race. Powerful. Wow. We, we, we need people today in light of Ferguson, in light of Baltimore, in light of Charleston, in light of, in light of every, almost any urban area. Every time you looked at there's something with regard to uh, some unfortunate killings or rights being um, uh, usurped or, 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 or people aren't being treated right, we need to make more sacrifices for the race. And if we don't, people of color won't exist. Hmm. That's okay. Said. That's well said. I um, you know, you you fascinate me. You never cease to um. <laughs> cut it out, Leslie. Cut it out. It's true. And um, you know, I I really enjoy you know having you on the show. And as you said, we have to get you on camera when when you finish your tour with all these other big name um, broadcast net. You come on over to the District Freedom and give us a little of your time 
And, um, you know, because we we really do appreciate you. Our listeners appreciate you. And I, I really want you to give your contact information. People should uh, know your name. Um, you're, you know, you're my Henry Clark. Well, no, no. Okay. Well, now that's a, that's an ultimate compliment. Let, let me let me hit you with something that that kind of humbled me um, last week when we were taping the PBS show. A very important semi-retired judge uh, came in, and he didn't have an item for the Black Americana table for me to evaluate. But he just came over to say, "You don't recognize me, but I'm so and so." And I said, "Of course I do, Judge. How can I not? I mean, I've known you for years, and it's on this board, and blah blah blah." And he says, "I just need to tell you, if no one's told you before, you are a cultural gift." Yes, and I need you to I need you to think about what I just said too. He said you are a cultural gift. Now, that made my day because when you are when you are deep in the struggle, as I am and many of my people are, you run into so many blocks, obstacles, pitfalls, um, and uh, what I call people drinking too much haterade and too much Kool Aid that. Every now and then you need somebody to come along and surprise you to say, we, we get it, we appreciate what you and your company are all about. Well, we, so I think what you do helps me, and when I go on Facebook and I see some of some of your posts, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is exciting because she gets it. Let me go dig out my photograph <laughs> in the archives of, of Henry Holland <laughs> Garnett. Well, let, let me pull out Bishop Benjamin W. Arnett, who was an important AME Bishop, well, let me pull out my red photograph of Sojourner Douglas, um, I mean Sojourner Truth. Um, so when I see, like the other day, you put up uh, something about Hedley and Reed of New Bedford. Okay. The interracial photographers. James Reed was the black one and, and so forth. You remember that post? Uh, Hedley no, and Reed, R-E-E-D? Yeah, Reed. Uh-huh. Hard, yes, the photographer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was an interracial partnership with Hedley. He purchased Headley out, and it was his own studio then. I had been collecting Headley and Reed uh, images for the last 15 years. Right. See, okay. I, I mm-hmm. like, when you put up stuff, it causes me to dig deeper in the archives and say, okay, I need to blog about this or I need to do something because there's just so much out here. So it's almost like sometimes you are following me around and you've got a GPS on me in my archives because you're putting <laughs> up stuff that I think about all the time. So. Well, well, I'm very uh, blessed to use so many different sources and I'm going to tell the audience what I do. I use Google Alert. There's keywords you use to go on Google and uh, use the Google Alert system and if you like Marcus Garvey, anything that pops up on the internet about Marcus Garvey, you will get an alert and then that's one way um, that I get my information. Another way is I use Pinterest. Pinterest. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There's hundreds of people like ourselves that are posting Indeed. different different pictures and information. Sometimes it's not quite as in-depth as you go into um, each photograph. Well, I can keep it short. And I, I keep it short. Cut it out, Leslie. I can make it short. Come on now. Okay. So this is for our listeners. If you want to uh, do your own research, um, these, these are ways, organic ways, that you can go in into the system and learn and, and learn more in-depth. Another site I use most of the time is blackpass.org. Yes, that's an excellent, excellent site. Excellent site. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, these are my tricks of the trade, and you know they're not tricks, but they're out there for you. And I make sure on each one of my posts, I uh, I list the re- the, the source of where I got my information. So, which I um, appreciate because some sites don't do that, and, and as a content provider, 
it's critical that people give proper credit to the university, the special uh, collections or the archives, or or even if it's um, an item that has been rented from from Getty or from iStock Photo and so forth. So I do appreciate you and all that you do. Well, thank you. And we have to have you back on to talk about Eden, to talk about the burial ground in Philadelphia that has a playground. On top of oh, it, yeah, that's a, hot, that's, that's, a, that's a tragic story. Tragic story. Yes, so you have to promise you'll be back on to do part five. <laughs> okay. I, I promise, but on, on one condition, on one condition, okay. that you don't have me going all around the world and we can just stay on a couple topics. <laughs> oh, I can't. That's, that's just how my brain functions. I apologize. You're not the only one who complains. This is why I always have a host do right. the interviews because – I get too excited. I'm too emotional. I'm, you know. Well, well, you know, as, as I leave you, I'm going to tell you this. I always tell people uh, I don't have ADHD. I'm not ADHD, but when it comes to this African American history and culture, I am. Yeah, I am. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with that because if my spirit can be contagious to other people, then 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 it it was worth it. Well, you are definitely a, a professional. You know how to get the information out and stay focused and on point. And that's something I'm working on. And me too. Me have too. To me have too. You on. No, you, I look you forward to it. You, you know, anytime you can reach me, uh, I'm I'm always willing. Uh, we, we have countless untold stories uh, from across the country uh, that uh, are, are germane to what's going on today. And we want you in the studio in New York at the M and N Studio on Monday, September seventh, or Thursday. September 10th, so I'm putting it on the air. Well, you're putting me on blast. Now, you're putting me on blast in front of everybody, right? (laughs) Check your calendar and have your people contact me because I don't have any people yet. (laughs) Leslie, cut it out, Leslie. (laughs) No, we'll we'll definitely um, be back in touch with you, um, and uh, I'm excited for all that you have done and are doing and will do. So God bless you, and uh, keep the faith. You too. All right, yeah. My pleasure. Night-night. Bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye.